At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Danny Feltz. And my immediate instinct, which thank God didn't like, get out of my mouth was just like I don't know may you put your pussy in my face (laughs) that and more but before that you know Risk and the Story Studio we are a small business and one of the best recommendations we make to small businesses is to use stamps.com stamps.com makes mailing and shipping so convenient and saves you time and money you buy and print official US postage right from your computer once you try it you won't want to go back to making time consuming trips to the post office To get you started, Stamps.com has a special offer for our listeners. Just use our promo code RISK to get a no-risk trial, so there's nothing to lose, plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale that calculates exact postage for letters and packages, no guesswork, and up to $55 free postage. Stamps.com is easy to use. You print postage for your letters and packages right from your desk, hand them to your mail. Oh, man, over 500,000 small businesses are using Stamps.com, and you should too. We use Stamps.com at Risk in the Story Studio. So remember our special offer. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Risk. That's Stamps.com. Enter Risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Kevin McLeod behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Live from Portland 2, even though it's actually the third time we've been to Portland. I'm I, I'm a confused. I don't know. We've had a lot of episodes at this point, and it's getting a little hard. I'm not a librarian. Do I look... Like a librarian? I do. 
I do look a little like a librarian, like a steaming hot, bulbous ginger manatee esque librarian. But thank goodness I'm all that except for the last part because I get to be the host of Risk and bring you these three fabulous stories from our latest trip to Portlandia. We're going to start with Chris Gray, a remarkable story. He is a member of the remarkable band, Ancient Heat. And here he is now with the story we call Shithead. So for a certain period of time in my life, I feel like I just kind of suck. And like, I wouldn't say I was a bad person or like deliberately hurtful or malicious towards anybody. I just was a real loser. I'd say like the one thing that I did better than anything else in the world was smoke a ton of weed. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody smoking a ton of weed. It's just... That's not supposed to be the thing itself. And it wasn't until I was like 25 that I even started to like get the hint that there might be something worth growing out of. I was really lucky to fall into this volunteer position working for this guy who had just started this nonprofit teaching music to kids who were in this like lockdown psychiatric residential treatment facility, like a long-term place. And I was basically getting in there for musical stuff, I was hoping I could work on like developing the way I teach drums. But after a few weeks of doing that, I sort of found this uh, skill set I wasn't expecting to find where like the patience and the empathy and the just sort of keeping everything calm, like lowering the frustration level in the room. I, I didn't I didn't expect to find that. And there it was. So Anyway, after like the hundredth time breaking down gear after one of those groups and I was complaining about like the shitty job I had at the shitty bakery, the guy I was working for, he's like, hey, look, I used to work at a place like this. Uh, I can put in a recommendation and I'm pretty sure they'll give you a job, but I can't guarantee you're going to thank me for it. And uh, I thought about it for a little bit and yeah, I became a psychiatric technician and uh, that's, uh, you know, with, with, with a bachelor's degree in music performance. Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, I mean, you know, what that means, I'm, you know, line staff on the unit for this lockdown short-term crisis care treatment facility for children ages 6 to 17. Basically, any child in the middle of a mental health crisis, maybe they're stepping down from the hospital after a suicide attempt, or maybe they've blown out of their group home or their, you know, their residential situation, maybe a foster home, and they're coming to spend two or three weeks here and get some med changes, make sure they stick and the whole time stay under 24-hour supervision. This is the place that I started working at, and I was extremely lucky to get into this place right at the start of an uncharacteristically long period of calm and quiet. And so I got like real eased into it. You know, The training wheels were ripped off, but it was kind of a while into it. And so it's during this time that we get a client in. Her fake name is Becky. And Becky is the cutest goddamn kid I've ever fucking seen. She's like this little seven-year-old girl with her hair in like four braids and little like bright plastic things at the end of them. And she's got, 
big old brown eyes and this giant smile where like one of her front teeth is growing in. It's it's great. And she laughs really, really hard all the time. Like the only level at which she can laugh is like the hardest a person can possibly laugh. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and it's way cuter when a little girl does it, but it's equally loud. And um, no matter where you are in the building, you can hear this girl doing that. And it's super cute. She laughs often. Like the first interaction I ever had with this girl, she walks onto the unit and I introduce myself. You know, hi, my name is Chris. And her response is, you're very handsome. <laughs> right? And so I really like this girl, like immediately. Uh, is the first seven-year-old to like make me blush. <laughs> and, but she's in this place for a reason. She's not allowed to have like shoelaces or a drawstring in her sweatpants. And, you know, she's like a lot of kids coming into this place with a primary diagnosis of PTSD and you know she's seven and she was born drug addicted and you know has a pretty terrifying abuse history before she was taken away by the state and even then she stayed in a few places where there should never have been children and she's you know in here because she's blown out of another foster home and she's got these new behaviors of like regression and She's starting for the first time to sort of reenact some of her abuse and her trauma history, and she'll go dark behind the eyes, and she'll start talking in a different voice. It's some really spooky shit. And so one of these days, it's one of those days in Portland, not unlike today, where it's like one of the first really nice days of the year, and like strangers are smiling at each other, and it's like noon, and people are like on the bar patios, and everything's t-shirts outside and awesome and I was really bummed out because I'm like going into work and it's going to be like an extra long shift today and if I'm lucky then I'll be assigned to work on the comm unit where like all of the kids on there can totally be expected to maintain you know safety for a full 30 minutes of structured recreation on the fenced in outside play area so like you know I'm bummed out it's a nice day to be outside I debated calling in sick and you know, I'm just going to, I'll get half an hour outside if I'm lucky, screw it, you know, job's a job. And right when I walk in the building, I can tell it's going to be popping off today, where, like, there's, you know, one of the safe rooms is already full. Uh, another safe room is, like, getting disinfected and scrubbed out, so I'm not going to ask questions there. And, like, I can hear somebody banging against the door on one unit and, you know, some hooting on the other side of the whole building, and I just walk straight to shift change. It's like walking into a tea kettle. And, you know, so be it. Here we go. Let's get started to work. And shift change even gets cut short kind of early because we got something going on. You know, the walkies are blasting off. And so I'm running to respond to whatever situation this is. I'll, you know, I'll figure out what it is when I get there. And on my way there, I can totally hear in the direction I'm traveling. (laughs) And so I'm starting to get a hint as to what's going to happen. And um, here we go. Showtime. I come in the door. And, like, immediately to my left, there's a set of lockers that are about, like, seven feet high. And sitting on top of these lockers is Becky. And she is just, you know, she's gone dark behind the eyes, but she is going wild, laughing her ass off. And sort of surrounding these lockers at, like, a 12-foot radius or, like, half a dozen staff. And nobody's going any closer, and I can't figure out what exactly is happening on here until I realize that (laughs) Becky has filled her sweatpants with shit (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah this it's at this point my supervisor sort of gets my attention and lets me know like hey you're the tallest one here go suit up 
And I, you know, like I said, job's a job. So I go, I'm running to the nurse's station. I get this like shitty paper mask that like rubber bands behind my ears. And it's got like a, a plastic eye shield built right into it that goes up to like my hairline. You know, I got some gloves on and I'm looking to hold some paper jumpsuit thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking around the nurse's station asking like, hey, is there something I can like put over the top of my head? And like right then the walkie goes off like, hey, you guys need to come back now. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, showtime, we got to go. And I, you know, I don't get to really finish my checklist and I start running back towards the incident and I can hear the whole way going there like, hey, 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 hey. and it's at that point that I sort of enter the unit and see most of the staff who were sort of hanging out on the unit are now in the office, like behind a closed door and on the window coming out of the office. You can just see it's like this like brown snowball sort of sliding down the window. And yeah, we've gone airborne. Um, and, and Becky is just going bananas up on top of those lockers. Uh, and yeah, something else you got to know about Becky is that she loves to finger paint. And so... <laughs> And so she's writing her name on the ceiling tiles in her own shit. And she's been eating hospital food for like three weeks. So it's like this real light brown, sort of airy, loafy, like fun factory consistency. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so she's writing her name on the ceiling. I also remember like thinking like, I didn't, I didn't realize she knew how to write her name. I was kind of proud of her. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, you know, immediately sort of come to and, and realize, yeah, I'm running, I'm running point on this retrieval, so let's, uh, let's get down to it. I start approaching the lockers with my shitty rubber banded on paper mask and gloves, and that's it. You know, Becky and I sort of make some eye contact, and she puts her hands up like she's about to start the YMCA sort of thing. And like, this is what a child does when they're expecting to get lifted up from beneath the armpits by an adult. Like, this is a common move to just, you know, here we go, time to get lifted up. So there's the briefest glimmer of hope in the back of my mind that maybe this is going to go fine. And I go for it. I get the hands under the armpits, I lift her up, and both hands come down right on top of my head. Just, yeah, heaping handfuls of shit. And we're... We're going down the front, and it's getting over. Like, my eyes are closed, and it's caked over my eyelids. Yeah, it's there. there. So eyes are closed, blinded now. Um, and, then it, and then it keeps coming down. At this point, this, like, mask that I have on is only serving to spread the shit around more. She's rubbing it around. There are places that would not have gotten shit on them were it not for the shitty mask with shit on the inside of the shitty mask. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's, it, here it goes down the front. It gets into the nostrils, so now i got to stop breathing. Right? Have you ever had shit in your nostrils? <laughs> and so, I'm, you know, I, I just cut it off right there. I'm holding my breath now. It gets on my mouth, like on the front of my lips, and I'm really proud of myself for this. You know, like uh, that sort of reflex you get where you get something on your mouth, you just immediately lick your lips and get it off. As, as soon as the shit hit my lips, it, like, my brain flipped a switch. It's, there's shit on your mouth, there's shit on your mouth, there's shit on your mouth. And I have never eaten shit, ever, in my life. <laughs> right? There are risk stories about the opposite of that, and you get the equal amount of applause for it. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm covered in shit. I'm holding a screaming, squealing chaos demon, like, at 
full extended arm's length. And then this guy standing next to me, a staff who'd come out of the office, he says, oh, it's in your hair. <laughs> like, this is not a newsflash. <laughs> but so I'm able to then hand off this squealing child to two of these staff who are wearing full protective gear. They've got jumpsuits and better masks than mine and like goggles on like they're going to do a lab experiment and they are nearly as tall as I am. <laughs> and like then I, you know, I, I, you know, looking back on it now, when I was sending this in to Kevin, I realized I was the newest staff. Oh, but um, yeah, so I'm able to sort of blindly walk my way into the hallway bathroom where they got a bathtub and I just run the faucet and I sort of go back and forth between that and the liquid antibacterial soap and just through repeated double handfuls of that I get myself clean and yeah after about 15 minutes of that like that's that's basically the first 45 minutes of my 10 hour shift (laughs) and so yeah back to work and it's um probably a little bit after dinner time on the unit and um my supervisor sort of arranged for sort of the standard thing when a big incident happens between staff and clients Whenever it seems clinically appropriate, we try to arrange for a debrief between the staff involved and the client, and you can sort of demonstrate safety and consistency and appropriate boundaries, stuff like that. So my supervisor arranges for this sort of meeting on the fenced-in outside play area. So we're going out there. It's me and Soup and Becky, and not too long after we get outside, Becky grabs me and takes me by the hand and just starts sort of leading me into the middle of the play area and I am able to like communicate to my supervisor like I feel cool going one-on-one on this and yeah she just is very calmly leading me around and something catches her attention there's like a hole in the log on this sort of like mulchy thing and inside is like a little spider egg sack and she asked me you know what's that and I was like oh those are spider eggs and she's super afraid of spiders so she starts getting kind of scared and I'm like ah oh, don't worry about it like spiders live outside and these are little baby spiders and they're hanging out right here where they're supposed to be so nothing's wrong and then she starts asking me questions about spiders and like if you're seven years old I know a lot about spiders (laughs) 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 and so you know I'm like blowing this girl's mind and you know like I sort of realized like as a new staff I'm sort of thinking I ought to be following this script of like hey, I noticed you were having a real hard time back there. What's up with that? (laughs) And I don't see how that's going to help anybody. And, you know, I'm sort of thinking about that. It's like, actually, this is sort of what we both need. Like, this is just two humans interacting. This is a, you know, a curious little girl asking questions about something and then a safe adult demonstrating that everything's fine. And, you know, we've both had a rough day. (laughs) And But that's when I start thinking, too, like... I have no business comparing my day to hers. Like, I get to go home after this. She was born in hell, and she was raised for six out of seven years in a waking nightmare. And even then, the jury's still out on how that story ends, and she's still the one laughing all the fucking time. It's amazing. And, you know, maybe my problems aren't so unsolvable, considering (laughs) the circumstances. And so... End of my shift comes around. I get home probably around like midnight and a couple of my friends are hanging out on the porch and I let them know, you know, what happened to me. I was a little closer to it, so it was not as well prepared of a story. But uh, 
my friend Dallas, after the stunned silence, you know, asked me like, well, shit, do you have work tomorrow? I was like, no. He's like, well, then let's get shit-faced. <laughs> Thanks. my friends are in the kink community and we, we featured a lot of episodes of Risk where people uh, went into their kinky adventures and, uh, and, and I'm always seeking out people who, whose kinks are, you know, particularly odd or maybe a little more taboo than usual. But there are some types of play that are actually quite common, but people just don't want to talk about it, right? So for years, I've been saying to a lot of my friends in the kink community, find me a scat play story. And tonight I was like, that's very literally what we just heard. <laughs> just not what I was expecting. <laughs> okay, I want to bring our next storyteller to the stage. She is a counselor. She said that her last time on stage was hosting her sixth grade talent show and she got kicked off the show mid-show for saying, God damn it. So, at least she doesn't have to worry about that here. Please welcome the stage, Kyla Hines. Oh my God, I just touched Kevin Allison. <laughs> um... So I'm going to take you guys back to a really magical time. It's called 2013. <laughs> now, in 2013, my husband and I were what are known as dinks. Dual income, no kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my husband, let me tell you about him. His name's Chad. He's that, like, quiet, thoughtful type. He's the kind of guy at a party, you know, who's, like, in the corner with the drunk girl sobbing, telling her whole life story. It doesn't hurt that he's ridiculously attractive in that very, like, beardy, tattooed, looks really fucking good naked way. Um, and so back in this magical 2013 land, my husband and I were really, really sure we never wanted to have kids, you know? Especially me. I grew up in this very liberal family um, with my mom, who's a very strong woman. And uh, when my parents got divorced in sixth grade, I had to watch her completely rebuild her life after being a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. And I, just, I didn't want that to be me. So here my husband and I are. I had just finished my master's degree, and I was invited to study my PhD at the University of Kentucky. At the same time, my parents had gifted us a decent sum of money that could kind of either help us buy a house in Portland or help us sort of get my life started in Kentucky, if that's what I decided to do. So we went to our favorite haunt, Pause. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of that place. Woo! Um, and we're outside on the patio. It was a day like this, actually, like beautiful, sunny, kind of like the first day of spring. And we're, we're shooting back some drinks. We're getting a little loose. And, um, you know, one drink led to two, led to five. We're really kind of, you know, talking about our lives. And we see this adorable fucking kid. I mean, cherub-cheeked 
curly hair, like perfect with his parents, you know, just like skipping along and singing cute little songs about what he's doing. Like, I'm eating a cheeseburger and it's, you know, and you're just like, oh, fuck, my uterus was exploding. <laughs> and so we, we, we see this kid and I don't know if it's the spring, if it was my uterus issues that I was having or the alcohol, but we just look at each other and we're like, let's have a kid. Now, let me tell you a little bit of something about my husband and I. We have this really serious problem. See, when we met each other, a month later, we moved in together. A week after that, we got a dog. We got engaged a year later, and only two weeks after that, we were married at a bar, because I just couldn't wait. So we sort of make these decisions haphazardly and jump into them without any thought whatsoever. And of course, having a child, why would we be any different? So we jumped in. We decided, let's have a baby. So we started trying to conceive. Another thing you should know about me is I'm a bulldog. When I decide I'm going to do something, even if it's not something I actually want to do, I'm going to fucking do it. (laughs) And so that's what we did. I mean, I had three thermometers by my bedside table so that I can make sure that my temperature is the most accurate it could possibly be. I'm like checking my cervical fluid every minute. Like, oh, honey, yeah, it's really viscousy. Come on. And... With my tenacity, being young, real, and horny, I mean, we got pregnant pretty quickly. And I was elated. I saw that pregnancy test, and immediately I get out my phone. I'm taking, like, Instagram filtered, you know, sort of images I can't wait to put on my Facebook. And... I told everyone, I friends, family, neighbors, the guy pumping my gas, the person checking me out at the counter. I'm walking around, you know, at this point, five weeks pregnant, you know, like, oh, getting up out of chairs like this. You know, I was really milking it. I was so excited about this pregnancy. Then it was about a couple weeks later, I wake up in the middle of the night feeling really strange. I can't really describe it, just off. So I walk into the bathroom kind of hazy, pee, stand up, turn around to flush the toilet, and I see blood. Now, as a 26-year-old woman, I had seen blood in the toilet every month for 15 years, and so it took a moment to register. But then it hit me. Fuck. Oh, my God. Fuck, that's blood. Oh, my God, that's blood. I ran to my husband in the bedroom, and I told him what was going on, and we immediately called the after-hours line, the midwifery we were working with, and... Of course, a fucking man answered. (laughs) And I'm saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm bleeding. I think I'm losing my baby. I think I'm having a miscarriage. And all he had was this fucking scripted line. If you think this is an emergency, you need to hang up and dial 911. If you believe you're losing too much blood, I believe you should go to the emergency room. And I'm screaming, but am I having a miscarriage? What should I do? What should I do? If you believe this is an emergency, please dial 911. So I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't know what to do. So I went to my bathroom and I turned on the shower and I sat there and watched my baby leave my body. And with that pain just emanated from me. The next day I woke up ready to feel devastated, but something strange happened. I woke up and felt relieved. It was like the clouds had parted and finally my baby craze was over and I realized, holy shit, I hadn't even thought if I wanted a baby. Maybe this isn't what I want. Fuck, maybe this is my get out of jail free card. 
I mean, yeah, I had already told everyone, but oh, I, they would understand. Kyla had a miscarriage. It was too hard. She was too devastated. She couldn't have another baby. Maybe this isn't what I want. But then as soon as the relief came, so did the realization. I had told everyone, everyone, everyone thought this is what I wanted. And with that bulldog tenacity, I was stuck in my brain that I had to do it. So I stuffed down all of my feelings and I jumped right back into that bed and we got pregnant again. This time when I saw the pregnancy test, I didn't start taking Instagram photos. I immediately was hit with pure and utter dread. When I saw that plus sign, I thought, what the fuck did I just do? Now, the first trimester of my pregnancy was pretty awful because I was convinced that I had cursed my womb from the many years of saying I didn't want to have a child. So I was in constant fear that I was going to lose this baby. Every little misfire, cramp, weirdness that the first time had sent me into gleeful giggles now made me just want to curl up and die. I confided in some people, told them how I was feeling, and everyone said, once you see that baby, once you go and get your ultrasound and you see and you feel that baby, it's going to change. You're going to feel connected. You're going to love this baby. Well, I made it. I made it past the first trimester and I was getting ready for my 20 week ultrasound. I was anxious and bursting, not just bursting from anxiousness, but bursting because they don't let you pee for hours ahead of time, which is torture for a pregnant woman. The room is like dimmed down. It's like really nice and quiet. There's like this 1990s bubble screen in the corner for you to look at your baby at. The woman who's doing the ultrasound is like this young, sweet girl. You know, she's asking me all the questions of like, oh, are you excited? How have you been feeling? Do you think it's a boy or a girl? And I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, let's get this shit started. Because I'm ready to finally feel connected to this baby. I'm ready to finally feel happy and feel good. So she puts the ultrasound on me and immediately it comes up on the screen, my baby, all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, their little brains sloshing around in that little head. And I'm ready. I'm ready to bask in the majesty and the miracle that is childbirth. And I feel nothing, not even dread, not even fear. I'm just hollow and I desperately look at this screen, this little grainy image of this little like weird alien wobbling around. And I think, Kyla, this is inside of you. This is your baby. You've created this thing. And I feel nothing. The rest of my pregnancy was a downward spiral. Every time we would go to the doctor's office and they put the little heart rate monitor on me and we'd hear that fast. It's almost like, galloping horses heartbeat all I could think of was oh the fucker's still doing good huh <laughs> when I'd sit at night and I could feel the kicks it was just like a fuck you fuck you fuck you fuck you and people love pregnant people And so as I started to show everyone wanted to touch my belly and ask me how I was doing and tell me I was glowing, and every time it just felt like they were twisting the knife, because in my mind, all I could think was, I don't want to be pregnant. This is the biggest mistake I've ever made. I confided in my husband. I told him what was going on. I said, I think this is the biggest mistake I've ever made. I don't want this baby, and I'm fucking miserable. And of course, 
He told me that he supported me and he gave me a huge hug, but I could see it. I could see it in his eyes. He was going through something too. He was about to try to figure out what it meant to be a dad. And I couldn't even imagine what it would mean the person who's carrying your baby saying like, oh, I don't actually fucking want this, sorry. Now I'm out. I did, I went and got help. I saw a therapist, I went and did acupuncture, I did herbal medications. It helped, but nothing, nothing took away that feeling of this, like it was, it was like I had a prison sentence and I knew that it was just, I wasn't getting out. I was in for bad behavior and there was no chance. I remember one day my therapist said to me, Kyla, you know, you don't have to keep this baby. And there was a moment where I thought, yeah, that would be really fucking amazing. But I knew that there was no option. I'm a healthy person with a family who could take care of this baby. I decided to bring it into the world. I'm the one who decided to have sex and have this baby. It wasn't an accident. I tried and I tried hard. Woo. (laughs) So I knew I had to keep it. Well, November 20th came. It was 10 days before my due date, and I woke up feeling strange again, the same kind of strange I had felt when I had my miscarriage. Immediately when I woke up, I lost my mucus plug, which for those who haven't had a child, it's sort of like the bloody show. And I I called my midwife, you know, kind of like in a fervor, like, what's going on? Am I okay? She's like, oh, you're 10 days early. I don't know. You know, maybe you can come in, you know, once you're awake. Don't worry about it. And I just, uh, something came over me and I became a crazy person. I cleaned my entire house. I washed the dishes. I vacuumed. I even shaved my fucking legs, which when you're nine months pregnant is really hard to do. And the only reason my husband finally woke up is because that's like clang, 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 you know, four in the morning. And he's like, we should probably go to the hospital. So we go. The drive to the hospital from where we live is usually hellish. It's on I-84 in Portland, people, you know? Ah, fuck I-84. And it's like dead bumper-to-bumper traffic. But at 4 in the morning, there's no one out there. And my husband and I are just cruising down. We don't even turn music on. We're just kind of like in it. By the time we get to the hospital, something so crazy had happened to me. I had changed from being this person in my mind to being a person in my body. I was no longer feeling dread or fear, but I wasn't feeling joy or excitement. I was just in it. I was in my body. People ask me all the time, you know, like, oh, how was your birth? And I tell them fun and they don't believe me. But trust me, having someone put a hot washcloth to your butthole for eight hours is fun. (laughs) My husband has this image of me sitting in the birthing tub, eating a turkey sandwich, laughing, and this is like an hour before I pushed that baby out of me. It was crazy. It was, I had finally become like an animal. I was primal. I was no longer in my head anymore. My body said, fuck you, Kyla. You have a job to do, and we're going to do it. I don't even really remember actually birthing my child, but my husband does. And he said, and he said, when they pulled her out of me and put her on my chest that something happened, it was like this visible shift. I became a mother. Now, there are many, many days I wish I could take that little shithead back to the hospital. 
she is at this stage where she will only sleep in bed with us. And she has these horrible pterodactyl like screams. When I was practicing this earlier today, she did one as I said that. But when she wakes up from naps, she spends five minutes stretching her chubby little arms. And she looks up at me with this huge smile because she's so happy that I'm the person who's there. And on days when I go to work and I come home, I catch her and my husband dancing in the living room and her laughing and laughing with a love I can't even comprehend. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that some days this is the biggest mistake I've ever made. It doesn't matter that my whole pregnancy, I hated it. Because I'm a mother now. I'm her mother And God damn it, if I'm going to be a mom, I'm going to be the best fucking mom there is. Thank you. That's so awesome. Uh, You know, I was thinking earlier that uh, three times in the past... A woman has run a story with me before about very similar issues, uh, like severe depression, upset, hating the pregnancy, even, you know, having a a lot of issues after the birth. Uh, And God bless them. It was an honor to work with them on those stories. But uh, all three canceled, you know, all, all three decided, no, I just don't feel like it would be, I have the guts to put it out there because I feel, you know, weird about sharing that. Uh, so, I'm so proud of Kyla for getting up and doing that. Also, I have never pictured myself having anything to do with birth, but that whole idea of hot washcloths on buttholes kind of got my attention from backstage. <laughs> Our next storyteller, he is a stand-up comedian around about town. Uh, You can find him at dannyfelt.com. He actually runs a comedy night at Al's Den. I've just got that it's at 10.30, so Danny, you should let them know what night it happens at 10.30. Please welcome the stage, Danny Feltz! Yeah, give it up for babies and stuff. I've never having one of those. Uh, how you guys doing tonight? Good? <laughs> Storytelling shows. Uh, uh, the date is January 7th, 2015. I'm getting a lap dance from somebody in a strip club, and I have a boner that both confuses and terrifies me. That's how it starts. Um, Now, I'm a little bit different than most people because most times when people get a lap dance, they're like, yay, or something else like that. But I'm not like that. Um, And I'm going to ask a couple people to just like think about the situation in your head right now. How many times a month do you guys think that you like masturbate? Just think about that. Just whatever that number is. Think about that in your head right now. 
and picture it. Somebody said it out loud on there, I'm pretty sure. I want you to think about that number. Uh, maybe it's like 12. Maybe it's 27. It doesn't matter because if it's like 15-ish, uh, that means that you've masturbated more like in a month than I have in like uh, 27 years. So, uh, yeah, I know. Super weird. Uh, and yet here we find ourselves. Right? I know. I know. Just the thought of not coming, sir, makes you just so like, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess it's because I'm an asexual person. Uh, there's maybe one other person of you in this audience right now. Maybe one. More likely a half, uh, if we're being really honest with ourselves, statistically speaking. And I've pretty much felt this way ever since I can, like, form relationships with people. I've been very awkward about sex stuff and just, just intimacy in general, I, I've realized. I can remember being about 10 years old and visiting Black Butte Ranch in Bend, Oregon, uh, for anybody familiar with that place, on a family vacation and having that one episode of The Simpsons come on, or Lisa Simpson... Uh, kisses Nelson Muntz, if anybody's watched a lot of The Simpsons. And my dad whistling, because he's his dad, and then me having to leave the room because I am so awkward and just cannot take the situation. It was too much. This happened all the time in various ways. I remember a couple weeks later going to the youth group that I did with my idiot friend Jeremy and his father, and uh, I say that because every time we would drive there, his dad would be like, hey, Danny, you got a girlfriend? And I'm like 11. And I'd just be like, shut the fuck up, old man. <laughs> Stop making me feel weird. <laughs> what are you doing? I hated it. I hated it so, 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 so much. Every single time. And this kind of got worse, I guess, as I began to develop into a person, uh, a man, if you would. And uh, I know. I, uh, I watched a lot of the E! channel when I was 14 years old. Uh, not for their hot entertainment news, but because when I was 14, there was a television show on the E! network called Wild On with Brooke Burke. And uh, <laughs> people actually watched it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the only reason I watched that show is because she, like, most of the time wore a swimsuit. Like, that was the only reason I watched that show. And I would just be there just fixated on the television, just like pushing down a boner, like not knowing what to do with it at all. Just like so confused, so tumultuous. I had no idea what I was doing. And I mean that quite literally, because like I, I didn't masturbate. I just didn't. And I found this out like a couple years later when my friends and I were hanging out at, at my high school. I'm like 16 at this point. And they're all kind of like droopy and sad. And I'm like, what's going on, guys? And they're like, we're having a contest right now. 40 days and 40 nights, no jacking off. And at that point, I responded maybe like a little too enthusiastically, I'm going to win, because <laughs> I did. I did. I did. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I should back away. Uh, so, you know... I first remember actually experiencing what, like, an orgasm was, like, semi-consciously. I was having a dream, and I was in, like, kind of like a giant sandbox. And I know, don't get ahead. And 
my ceramics teacher was there and this wasn't like some like young 30 something out of read it was this dude who was like 63 years old had done like so much acid back in the 70s and was like dying of silicosis which is like black lung and I remember like carving like a hole in the sand and like fucking the sand and then he's like you're doing it wrong and then I came and that was then I woke up then I woke up it's very weird it's very very strange Things didn't really get any better when I went to college and when I moved down here. I lost my virginity on a Halloween, which was very odd, uh, just to give you a picture of what happened there. I have been in two relationships, uh, and the last one was seven years ago, and uh, that person who I dated is actually my best friend now. So I don't know how exactly that got spun around. And you would think doing comedy would kind of like loosen the gears, like maybe make that a little bit easier to kind of be intimate with people. But it was almost a betrayal because, you know, here's like the only group of people that I can kind of like see eye to eye with and just not hate all the time. And they are actually my coworkers and they don't shut the fuck up about anything. They will tell all your secrets to everybody. Anybody in this scene right now, I know so many things about the Portland comedians that you would not want it. Well, you definitely want to hear about it. But it's like you just know everybody's business. And that's the thing. What happened? Like, my lack of business became business. Like... That's how I found out and like came up with a label because my friends were like, oh, Danny, you don't fuck anyone. You're asexual. And I'm like, I need to do a Google search. <laughs> and and uh, they were right. They were very right. Uh, that's exactly what the situation kind of was. And I just kind of dealt with it. I kind of dealt with it on like a you know semi-conscious basis. Like, well, this is kind of weird. And uh, just kind of going throughout my life with this very, very low libido. And uh, it kind of came to a head uh, last, uh, like, three months ago. I was at a show, and there was this one uh, comedian who happens to be a stripper who was also doing the show. And I'm sitting in the green room, and we're just kind of hanging out. She's like, uh, oh, that was a really fun show. I'm going to go over to the strip club and hang out with a couple friends. Do you want to come? I am very awkward at strip clubs. I've been to like three in the past before this, and every time it's super awkward. I'm just like, I just want to eat this steak and leave. Like, that's just all I like. I, if I don't look up, I'm not offending anybody, right? <laughs> and so, but like my 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 impulse, like my comedy impulse, is just like, you live a fucking life worth living. So I'm like, all right, let's do this, I guess. So. We go to the strip club, it's really close by, and immediately I'm just greeted by like a bunch of like screaming women, just like, yeah! And they're so excited to see me, and they're just like hugging and saying, oh, you were so good. I'm like, who are these women? And I realize like, oh, they're my stripper friends, other stripper friends who were at the show we were just at, bunch of strippers at a strip club looking at people strip. And... I'm sitting there, and they're just like, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, so good. What a great show it was. And uh, they're like, are you having a good day? And I am having a good day because it was a good show, but 
it was also my 27th birthday that day. It was my birthday on that very day. And they're like, what? And they go crazy. They're like, we're going to get shots. It's going to be great. Because ah! strippers love birthdays. They're all about them. They're all about them. So my other friend who did the show with me, she's like, oh, I did not know it was your birthday. I am going to buy you a lap dance. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but she's kind of insistent upon it. And eventually it just gets to the point where I'm just like, no, I, uh, I don't want to do this, but I got to do this, you know? And eventually she convinces me. She's like, don't worry, it'll be great. Uh, you pick out a girl that you like and uh, we'll go from there. And I'm like, all right. And here's the thing. We were at uh, this very tiny strip club and there's, it's a Wednesday and there's only three strippers. <laughs> it's not very big. So we sit down at the rack and there's this, uh, it starts out and there's this one stripper up there and uh, she's nice. She's cool. Uh, super boring. She is extremely boring. She's moving so, so slow on the stripping pole. The stripper pole? Yeah. And uh, the stripping pole. She's moving so slow. Uh, like, I did not know you could strip to, like, explosions in the sky. And yet, here we find ourselves. <laughs> Just a slow, alternative rock experimental instrumental band. But she's doing it. She kind of reminds me of some shitty vagabond hippie roommates I had in the day. And I'm like, you're nice, but super boring. Even my friend who's looking at her strip, too, is just like, she sucks. And my strip club are way acrobatic. And I'm just like, I am like a boy at a bar asking for juice. Like, what do you want from... I don't care. So she leaves. The next stripper comes up. And she's fine. She's doing her thing. Way, way better. Way better, definitely. But definitely sort of clocking in some sort of paycheck. Like, and which is great. I love that people can just have that be their job here and just be like, yeah, work, work was work today at the old strip club. And like, but she's not really putting a lot of heart into it. There's nothing really there. But whatever, you know, hone your craft, 10,000 hours, whatever, you know. <laughs> work on it. It's not really my jam. And then the third stripper comes up, and I don't know this woman's name. I didn't bother asking because I would get a fake name. But for the purposes of this situation, let's just call her the crazy stripper. <laughs> crazy stripper is a ball of walking contradictions. Uh, she gets up on stage. First thing I notice about her is that she has a tattoo of Hebrew on her side, which I feel like is breaking some sort of rule. I don't think that's... <laughs> cool with the Judaic traditions uh, seems weird to me. Uh, she's not wearing stripper heels. She's wearing uh, ballet slippers and tube socks, which is a, a good look. And uh, she's just full of kinetic energy, just jumping everywhere, like throwing her ass on the wall, uh, doing like a bunch of weird, weird moves. It's mostly just kind of like writhing around on the floor. And at the very end of her routine, she just looks up at the people and she's just like, free Palestine! And I'm like, okay. That goes against the tattoo. And uh, so she's like all over the place. And I'm kind of thinking to myself like, 
well, if I'm going to get a lap dance, I should get a crazy lap dance from a crazy person who may or may not be blackout drunk right now. So I tell my friend, and I'm like, her. And she's like, cool. But then, you guys, then this trickster bro comes up, who I guess was like a friend of one of her stripper friends. And it's just like, wait a minute. Have you never had a lap dance and it's your birthday? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, hold on a second. And he goes away. I don't see him for like 10 minutes. We're just chilling there. I don't know what's really happening at this point. Eventually, I like talk to my friend. I'm like, hey, so did you buy that lap dance? And uh, she's like, uh, no, actually, I didn't. That guy you were talking to did. And I was like, cool. How much did he pay? And now, I don't know if you guys have gotten a lap dance before, but uh, they usually cost somewhere in like the $20 to $30 range. And... I'm like, how much did he pay? And she's like, a hundred dollars. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and before I can like really do anything or sort of assess the situation, the stripper comes in and is just like, come with me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> What's going on? So we get like into the veiled private booth and uh she's just like uh, all right i can touch you but you can't touch me take off your jacket <laughs> and i'm like i don't know what's going on here and i try to I, I just like sit in there and it's it's happening and i i don't really know what to do just really awkward just sort of sitting there like splay legged because they're very insistent upon you just being like just like as much as you possibly can <laughs> so they can really invest in the real estate And I'm sitting there, and keep in mind, I'm, like, wearing, like, these kind of pants. Uh, I'm sitting, and I'm sitting, and a $100 lap dance is really long, you guys. And by, like, the second song, all of a sudden, I'm kind of, I kind of get into the rhythm of it. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of fucking awesome right now. And I get a boner. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm so confused. I don't want to be in this position. This sucks so bad. I hate being a creepy person. And I'm just sitting there like force will in this erection away. Just like, no! And then, and I'm sitting there and eventually it kind of goes away and she uh, stops and is just like, are you Okay. <laughs> This is a woman who never has to see me again and who has already been paid. I'm just sitting there kind of like, yeah, I, I guess I'm okay. And I just am sitting there and I'm realizing like, oh man, like I am just doing the same thing I did when I was like 12 years old, like forcing a boner away. And I don't, want to feel like this and this is really lame and what is even going on here like who who am I in this situation and we're just sitting there and sitting there hundred dollar left hands and eventually she just kind of starts talking to me and uh, it's probably the best thing that could have happened and she was just talking and we're talking and she's like, oh, what do you, what do, you do for work? And I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian. She's like, tell me a joke. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> and, then, 
And, uh, you know, we're just hashing it out. Two people. In a weird, weird situation where one of us is almost not clothed at all and one of us has all of their clothes on. And eventually, she's just like, you know, you are just uh, the sweetest, most adorable person ever. And I don't know if that's a compliment at this point. Uh, yeah. And she's like, can I, can I put my pussy in your face right now? And my immediate instinct, which, thank God, didn't, like, get out of my mouth, was just like, I don't know, may you put your pussy in my face? <laughs> it didn't. She did. She did. Um, she did. And, uh, you know, songs wrap up. There were, like, five of them. We leave. Uh, hugs. She goes away. Uh, I'm standing there. And I want to say uh, that, like, at the end of this situation, like, I fuck that stripper. Oh, man. It was a crazy night. We did some blow, and I fucked the shit out of her, but I didn't. Uh, that's not what happened. It just isn't. And after this situation, I, I kind of was sitting there, and I'm like, what am I? In what I don't know what I am at all. Like, am I asexual or am I just so emotionally closed off that I can't like be close to people? And you know, I am not really sure. I am not a hundred percent on that. And I'm not sure if I will be for a while, but I'm trying, I'm trying real hard. And you know, I think when life asks you like, uh, Hey, can I put my pussy in your face? <laughs> I would say you should, you should just say yes. Thank you guys very much. is all for this week folks this is holy holy behind me now and listen risk is going to be in detroit on april 9th come out and see us ferndale michigan we will be at the magic bag on april 9th then we'll be in chicago on april 11th come out and see us on saturday April 11th at Lincoln Hall in Chicago, everyone. Really looking forward to that. On the 23rd, we'll be back in L.A. and New York, our regular once-a-month show. 
And then on the 25th, we will be in Boston. So come out and see us at Laugh Boston on April 25th. Lots of great live shows coming up, folks. Come out and see us. Listen, if you don't already follow us on Twitter or Facebook, be a part of it all. Come follow us both places. We're at Risk Show. And on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. It's really fun to engage in the conversation about what's going on with us. So spread the word and get active with us online. And don't forget, we teach storytelling also at our school, thestorystudio.org. In New York and Los Angeles, two-day workshops, one-day workshops, storytelling for business and storytelling for the stage. We do one-on-one training over Skype, and we have video lecture series. So check us out at thestorystudio.org. It leaves just one thing to say, folks. Today's the day. Take a risk. Ha, 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 ha.